Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, July the 4th, and if you're in the United States of America, happy Independence Day. This week in the Lancet podcast, we focus on the treatment of depression among cancer patients. This may seem obvious, but actually there's a real paucity of data concerning the best way to manage cancer patients who have depression. I'll be interviewing the author of a study looking at a complex intervention aimed to try and improve depression care among people who have experienced cancer. Before that, some other highlights from the issue of The Lancet dated July the 5th to the 11th. Our lead editorial points out how, worldwide, surgical mortality accounts for 1 million deaths every year. Therefore, the Safe Surgery Saves Lives checklist, launched on June the 25th by WHO's World Alliance for Patient Safety, is welcome. In research, we have articles on sex mismatch in kidney transplantation, prevention of venous thromboembolism after total hip arthroplasty. This week's seminar discusses acute aortic dissection, and we run a new drugs class item about treatments for Crohn's disease. But back to our main feature this week. This concerns how best to treat cancer patients suffering from depression. Earlier, I spoke to one of the authors of the study, Professor Michael Sharp from the University of Edinburgh in the UK. Professor Sharp, up until the current study that we're about to discuss, what evidence base has there been to actually guide the treatment of depression among cancer patients? Surprisingly, a lot less than you might imagine. Obviously, we have quite a lot of evidence about the treatment of cancer and, of course, about the treatment of depression. But most of those studies on the treatment of depression have excluded people with any sort of medical condition. And in fact, the amount of evidence we have for treating depression in medically ill patients in general is remarkably small. There have been recent systematic reviews specifically in the treatment of depression in cancer patients, and these show some encouraging evidence for simple antidepressant drug treatment and for some psychological treatments like cognitive behavior therapy. But those recent systematic reviews have concluded there really is inadequate evidence to guide us in what we should do. The current study involves the assessment of a complex intervention given in a trial in addition to conventional treatment for depression among cancer patients. Can you just define exactly what this complex intervention is and how it's delivered? Yes, it's, it's, it's sometimes uh, not straightforward to understand this. So uh, let me just go back to the clinical problem we're trying to address, and I think it makes a bit more sense. We have surveyed depressed cancer patients identified systematically and found that substantially less than 10% of cancer patients with the more severe form of depression that we're concerned with here, major depressive disorder, are receiving any sort of treatment that one might imagine could be effective. So there actually is tremendous unmet need. Now, a number of studies in depression in general, and particularly depression the medically ill, have identified that the reasons that, that people don't get effective treatment are many. They include the fact that the depressive symptoms are not mentioned by the patient or not inquired about by the doctor, uh, that even if depression is diagnosed, uh, the patient and the doctor altogether decide it's just understandable and nothing needs to be done. But if treatment is initiated, if it's an antidepressant drug, the patient may not want to take it or may not persist with it. And if it's a psychological treatment, it may not be accessible Uh, or again, the patient may not want to attend a specialist mental health service. 
So there are complex reasons for the problem in the first place. The usual care, therefore, of people with depression and cancer is quite limited. In, in a UK NHS setting, and I think in other parts of the world, a proportion of patients will get some support, some counselling, some will get antidepressants. But a large number of patients, almost certainly the majority, will get none of those things. So the question that we're trying to address is how can we put that right? So given those multiple shortcomings, we need an intervention that does multiple things. So our intervention is delivered by a cancer nurse, and that nurse does a number of things. She makes sure we identify that the patient's depressed, and she makes sure that the patient and their GP and the cancer doctor all know the patient's got depression and what that means. She spends time with the patient so they understand the nature of depression, that it's an illness, it's not a weakness, and that they understand that there are treatments that potentially could help them and explains to them the pros and cons of antidepressant treatment, of becoming more active, uh, regaining normal activity, and also provides them with a problem-solving treatment. So what the nurse is trying to do is to really help the patient to recover from depression, partly by using the existing services. So they will encourage them to go and see their GP and talk to their GP about an antidepressant, and partly by doing things themselves, such as addressing problems in their lives. So it's complex because it has lots of bits to deal with lots of shortcomings. This complex intervention is a one-to-one patient-to-oncology nurse type process. Yes, the core of it is what we're putting into the system is a specially trained cancer nurse who's supervised by a psychiatrist. But the patient will continue to interact with their general practitioner, their primary care doctor, uh, and with their oncologist. So while we're putting in a nurse who interacts with the patients, we hope also to change the way that the patient interacts with the other bits of the healthcare system. And can you just clarify how depression was actually screened for? Uh, because that's an issue in itself, isn't it? How you screen for depression, and then perhaps you could, and then perhaps you could just go on and uh, talk about a bit more about the methodology of the study, where it took place, who the patients were, that sort of thing. As I mentioned, one of the problems uh, in getting effective treatment for depression to cancer patients is simply finding out who's depressed in the first place. Patients and doctors dealing with cancer tend to focus on the cancer and symptoms in general, including depression, tend to get missed out. So we use a a system whereby all cancer outpatients complete questionnaires about a range of symptoms on touchscreen computers when they come to the cancer center. Those who have evidence of distress on those questions, we then interview. We actually use over the telephone at home because it's quite difficult to Uh, for the patient to have time to do that at hospital. And those that meet criteria for major depression, then they are the patients who we ask if they'd like to take part in the study. So that way we identify a, systematically identify a representative sample of cancer patients with major depression and find people that we wouldn't have found if we just depended on them being referred. Having got those patients, the study itself would then for the patients who consent to take part would be randomized either to continue using the service in the usual way after we've told the patient and their doctors that they're depressed so they can have access to any of the usual services for depression 
Or the other group has that. In addition, they also have an average of seven sessions, face-to-face sessions with the cancer nurse, delivering the complex intervention as we described. We then look to see uh, which group of patients had the better outcome in terms of depression. And we set the test as being who had the better outcome at three months. And we also followed the patients up to a year. We're talking about a variety of cancer patients, are we? Patients, I see it's 70% female population in the population study, presumably covering cancer, breast cancer, colorectal cancer. The sample in this study was restricted to patients who were likely to have a a relatively um, good life expectancy a year or more. So we didn't include some of the cancers, which unfortunately have a poorer prognosis. We'll come back to that later. This had a predominance of uh, people with breast cancer, also um, bowel cancer, uh, prostate cancer, uh, and a few other cancers. So uh, it was a sample of common cancers, different sorts of cancers, but not representative of all cancer. And you just said then that um, you did analysis of the complex intervention at three months and also at six months. As you're aware, it's important when you're doing a trial to specify at the beginning what your outcome is going to be. So we specified a main measure, a primary measure, which was a scale called the SCL20. It's 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 something the patient completes about how bad and how many symptoms of depression they have. And we said that we would compare the scores in the two groups at three months. We also had secondary measures, that's other measures, which included an interview with the patient about whether they still, um, at interview, still had major depression using a, a diagnostic interview and gave them some other questionnaires about other symptoms. What we found, in fact, that the uh, outcome at three months for the patients who'd had the complex intervention that we call depression care for people with cancer was actually substantially better and that actually that benefit was in fact greater at six months um, than three months, even though that was rather unexpected to us. And in fact, it was still quite clearly apparent at a year, uh, even though we'd done nothing to the patients from six months onwards. That's very interesting. And and statistically, how would you represent that improvement? This is to do with a scoring on the depression, self-reported depression scale, is it? That's right. Our primary measure is this scale and the scale goes to 0.4 and you so it's quite hard to uh, understand clinically the difference you get you get a a, a a numerical difference between them it's perhaps easier to understand the difference in one of our other measures which is how many still had major depression at interview so at three months there was a difference of 23 percent between the groups in the patients who still had depression so those who had the depression care, 23% fewer of those uh, still met criteria for depression at three months compared to those people who just had usual care. So a difference of 10% is usually considered the minimum clinically meaningful. 20% is really quite a substantial difference and clearly something that most doctors would consider to be a, a significant benefit in practice. Clearly an interesting result. Is it possible, I'm assuming it's not, to kind of get into a bit more detail as to why you think that result occurred or what element of the com- element or elements of the complex intervention was responsible for that improvement? Is it just the overall effect of the complex intervention, be that a better understanding or more referral to primary care for a, a me- um, pharmacological uh, treatment for depression or 
better um, psychosocial awareness as a result of the one-to-one counselling with a nurse? This is a good question, of course. One uh, that I'm often asked is, uh, which bit of this multi-component or complex thing does the work? Now, all the bits we've used have some evidence for them. Um, They've all been shown to be helpful for depression in non-cancer patients. So it's likely that the bits are all doing something. We've chosen to evaluate this complex intervention because we think that's the, the best way of tackling the problem. One could try and dismantle it again, but given that none of the bits are particularly expensive and none of the bits are dangerous, uh, that, to be frank, hasn't been a priority for us. I think getting an intervention that has a big benefit from patients, that's acceptable to patients, uh, and that uses existing evidence in a common sense way is what we're most interested in. A couple of final questions. You do point out some potential weaknesses with the study. Important, this is a proof of concept study, isn't it? Just to be aware of those. Can you just uh, elaborate? Whilst uh, this result is encouraging, it's important to be aware that this was carried out um, firstly in a single cancer centre, secondly in the UK NHS, which has its own characteristics, doesn't necessarily generalise to other countries. And as we talked about earlier on, this is not representative of all cancers. This was a range of common cancers, but people with relatively good prognosis. This really, I think, should be regarded as a study which says this kind of approach can work in these people with relatively good prognosis cancers. And I think there's more work to do to answer some of the other questions about its generalizability. What are the next steps here? As I said, this is testing, if you like, a proof-of-concept study, some encouraging results. What needs to happen now? Do we need replication in larger uh, clinical settings? Is it applicable yet within a clinical setting or too early for that? I think I would say it is too early for people to rush out and do it. I'm pleased to say that uh, Cancer Research UK has funded us to do two further trials that will address two two issues of generalizability. The first is a larger um, effectiveness trial that will look at whether this intervention is better than usual care in a bigger setting. We're running that in both Edinburgh and Glasgow, the combined cancer centers of which uh, cover a population of about 4 million and a very varied population, and we'll be doing a detailed cost-effectiveness analysis in that study. So that one's called Smart Oncology 2. And the other thing that we talked about was the fact that we'd only use this in really good prognosis cancer patients. And we really want to see if it can also help people who are depressed, who have a more limited life expectancy. So we're doing a proof of concept test in patients with lung cancer. We call that Smart Oncology 3 to see if a slightly adapted intervention can also work in that group. Of course, it will also be important as other groups in other settings uh, and in other countries see if they can replicate the finding. Indeed, well, we look forward to finding out about those other findings in the studies that are going to be underway soon with, with great interest. Professor Sharp from the University of Edinburgh, thank you very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. Many thanks. Professor Michael Sharp concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.